0: Follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. So this has been heavy on my heart, which is why I've been going in this direction. And we're talking about reverence and godly fear. Is that okay? Is that a good subject? Amen. And before we even get into the scriptures, there was an individual that was preaching at a particular place and talked about this subject for a while. And when he went back the next night, the pastor kind of got on the platform and just said, you know, everything that this guy preached was wrong. He thought he was just going to be encouraged by it, but he said, no, what he preached was wrong. He said, because the Bible teaches us that we're living in the New Testament. New Testament says, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power love and of a sound mind. And the New Testament says that perfect love casts out all fear. So really, fear has no part to play, no part at all whatsoever to play in a believer's life in the New Testament. Well, the problem was, apparently, this particular individual didn't study his complete Bible. Because, you see, in the New Testament, we have a lot that's spoken instead about fear. As a matter of fact, if you look at it this way, in the very beginning when we see uh, things happening in the life for, of uh, Isaiah, for example, he said that he saw the Lord high and lifted up and full of glory, and his train filled the temple, right? And the angels cried, love, love, love. What did they cry? Did you know that God revealed himself in his holiness first before we ever found out that he was a God of love? Right? He did, didn't he? Right. As a matter of fact, he said a lot about his holiness and that how he's to be revered. Uh, Look at this psalm, Psalm 89, verse 7. Look at this verse and see what it says about that. God is somewhat to be feared. God is greatly to be feared at the mall. Where? Where? In the assembly of the saints, greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Wow. Greatly to be feared, held in reverence by all those around him. Then look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Apparently this guy didn't read these verses. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. What's the acceptable way to serve him? For our God. Something's left out. For our God is a consuming fire with reverence and godly fear. We're to serve him rever- with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. For some reason, that's... Messed up. But anyhow, (laughs) I'll quote it right. (laughs) Serve him with reverence and godly fear. Notice, we serve him with reverence and godly fear. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. So we're to reverence him. Hold him in high esteem and with high regard. Because he is a consuming fire. For those reasons, we are to serve him with reverence and godly fear. So the acceptable way to serve the Lord is how? With reverence and godly fear. You know, right now we're living in a time where it seems that has escaped us. And that we've kind of focused on and majored on the fact that, yes, he is a God of love and he loves us tremendously. But it's important that we recognize that he is still a holy God. And the scripture says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Right? And if we are going to conform to the image of Jesus, we're going to walk in the holiness of God and conduct ourselves in such a way to let him know that we believe He is a holy God. As a matter of fact, if you take that back way back when the priests had to enter into the temple, they didn't just haphazardly enter into the temple. They had to make strong preparation. They had to prepare themselves in the way they dressed, and they had to cleanse themselves or clean themselves up to go into the temple, um, and they had to go in there with the right mindset. See, the temple was everything to them back then. When you went into the temple of God, the priest went into the temple of God to offer up sacrifices and all that before God. This was as serious as it gets. It doesn't get more serious than that. Now, we're not living in that covenant. We understand that. But is God any less holy than he was then? Is he any less righteous than he was then? No. As a matter of fact, he's revealed himself as a consuming fire, and we know more about him right now than we ever have, and it's important that we recognize the fact that when we're going to approach him, there has to be a sense of awe. Whether we're individuals or whether we're a church body, we can't lose the sight of the fact that he's a holy God. There was another individual who was, really, he was a televangelist, and he was widely known and very popular, and got himself into some trouble um, <laughs> In different ways and lost his position. Matter of fact, spent some time in prison as a result of what he had done. And when uh, another individual had a conference with him there, he said, what happened? What happened? When did you lose your love for God? He goes, I never lost my love for God. When did you lose your love for the people? I never lost my love for the people. He said he was confused. He said, well, then If you didn't lose your love for God, didn't lose your love for the people, then what happened to you? He says, the truth of the matter is this, I lost the fear of God. When I stopped fearing God, then I got myself involved in things I shouldn't have gotten involved in. See, it's the fear of God. Look at at these two verses in Philippians chapter 2. Look at these two verses. Therefore, my dear ones, this is the Amplified. As you have always obeyed my suggestions... So now not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with love and kindness. With what? With reverence and awe and trembling. Not in your own strength, For it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. See, it's not an issue of God loving us. We know that God loves us and we love God. But working out our salvation means bringing it to full fruition and maturity involves maintaining a level of reverence and fear for God along the way. And it's important that we recognize that as an individual, how do I work out my salvation? With what? Fear and trembling. As a church body, how do we complete or bring to full fruition the things that he's called us to do? As we maintain what? Reverence and godly fear. And so this is one thing I think that maybe has been overlooked in our culture today where I think churches have grown to mega churches because they want to appeal to You know, the senses a lot. Maybe we have better worship or we have we want to, you know, reach out to the young people and play songs that, that appeal to them. But when you get serious about truly ministering to God and worshiping the Lord and recognizing that He is a consuming fire, see the thing that keeps us on the right track with God is fear. Godly, reverential fear. There's a healthy fear, there's an unhealthy fear. And it's up to us to maintain walking in godly, reverential fear. Now listen to this verse. We're to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. How? In the fear of God. How does one perfect holiness? If you back up, that was 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. If you back up a few verses, you know what they say? Talking about the presence of God. I will walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people, right? You're the temple of the Most High God, individually and collectively. And so because we're, we're the temple of God individually and collectively, let us, something we do, cleanse ourselves from what? All filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, how? In the fear of God. So in other words, if someone loses the fear of God, they lose their ability to cleanse themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Once again, we're living in a culture right now where many think that, you know, this idea, which I think is really wrong teaching, but once saved, always saved means it doesn't matter what you did. I had one person actually tell that to me. He was working at a Bible bookstore and says, I finally found the truth. I said, what's the truth? He said, the truth is it doesn't matter how I live or what I do. The grace of God's got me covered. All my sins are forgiven, past, present and future. He says, so it doesn't matter what I do. I could have as many vices as I want. I could do what I want, live how I want, act how I want. And he went on and on and on and said all that stuff. He says, and I'm free. I guess that is free just to do whatever you want. It's also anarchy. It's also rebellion. Because the grace of God teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we're to live righteous, sober, and holy in this present evil age, right? So I don't know where he got his teaching on grace from. It certainly wasn't from Titus. Titus didn't teach him that. You know, so, um, yes, we want to grow our churches and we want to get bigger and all that. But we want to do so with the foundation and still within people's lives that God is a righteous, holy God. And we are to follow his example of living righteous and holy before him as well. Amen. Amen? And not take him, they say, casually. Yeah. Now, notice 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Paul says it's with serious caution that we are to work and watchfulness that were to work out our salvation and carry it out to the goal. Well, what's the goal? What is the goal that we all should have? Well, here it is. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Anybody prefer that today? Yeah. Would you rather be sitting here or in your heavenly mansion? Where would you rather be sitting right now? I don't have to ask Andrew. He tells me that every day, so anyhow. So we make it our goal. What's our goal? To please him. Remember Jesus said these words, I always do the things that please my father. To please him. So whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear, here's the motivation, before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know that we know what it is to fear the Lord. Notice that to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Notice that he's emphasizing over and over again, the fear of God, the fear of God. That's not being afraid of him like you're afraid of a bear. That's talking reverence. That's talking about an attitude of the heart that doesn't want to displease him. But it's also recognizing what Jesus said when he said these words, don't fear the one who can kill your body, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Isn't that what he said? So you see, we can lose that reverence for God. We can lose the idea and the fact that, hey, He's the righteous judge. I need to be, I need to please him with my life. So once again, the goal is to live a life that pleases him. The motive is knowing that one day we're going to give an account of our lives before the throne of God. And also is to know that we can't make him love us any more or any less, no matter how we live our lives, because he's going to love us no matter what. And he's already proven his love for us, Right. But what we're responsible for is this, to live lives that please him. See, he's, remember he said, this is my servant in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So we want to have that, you could say, on our resume. That he or she lived a life that was well pleasing to God. Again, it can't make us, him love us more or less. But... We live a life that's pleasing to Him. And you know what? That makes you popular with Him when you do so. So it's not a matter, is this right or wrong? It's it's a matter, does this please God? Now, let's just take a quick look. I did some of this on Wednesday evening. I'll just throw it out here as well. So developing godly fear is something that we could be taught. Okay, And it's something that's inward as well. But number one... If we really want to walk in godly reverential fear, we need to be taught and we should ask him. What does this look like? Look in the book of Psalms, 34th Psalm. What does it look like to fear God? Fear the Lord, you his saints. Revere and worship him. For there is no want to those who truly revere and worship him with godly fear. The young lions lack food and suffer hunger, but they that seek and inquire and require the Lord by right of their need and on the authority of His word, none of them shall lack any beneficial thing. Now, that's a popular verse right there. That's a popular verse, but you notice the one before it and the ones after it are very important. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you to revere and worshiply fear the Lord. It's something that we can be taught, and so if we had desire it, we need to ask Him. Lord, what is it that constitutes godly fear and reverence? Because I want to follow that. What man is he who desires life and longs for many days that he may see good? Anybody long for that? Anybody here a candidate for bad days? No hands. Evil days. Mm-mm. Miserable days? Frustrating days? How about good days? Two of you want good days. (laughs) Well, here it is. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Wow. Next verse. Depart from evil and do good. Seek, inquire for, and crave peace and pursue or go after it. So notice the point he's making is We just don't know everything. This fellow thought because he loved God, it didn't matter, you know, when he got off off to a tangent, because he loved God, loved people. But when he lost the fear of God, he realized he became vulnerable. When people lose the fear of God, they become vulnerable. To what? To many temptations that are out there in the world today. So if I lose the fear of God, if I lost reverence for God, then I'm not going to be Let's say watching how I live, whether or not my tongue is being used for evil and guile or if I'm speaking things that are right. Look at number two. Not only does he want us to tremble at his presence, which he does, and we'll see that in just a moment, but he also wants us to tremble at his word. Look at here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. Thus says the Lord, now notice this is him speaking himself. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Every time I read that, I think he's got some long legs. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. If we really trembled at God's word, you know what? If God says something that's contrary to what we like and desire, we better start shaking in our boots. (laughs) Is this what God said? You know why there's so much craziness going on in the world today? Because people want to walk away from what God has said. Do you know right now the statistic says that 23 million professing Christians who prayed every day, who went to church all the time, who read their Bible, have now considered themselves to be non-Christians and some even atheists. They've gotten away from the Word of God. They've lost the fear of the Lord, the integrity of God's Word, and they've allowed their emotional feelings to take over their lives. Paul the Apostle said it this way. I'm the one, even though he's a prophet, even though he's got this call of God upon his life, I have to beat up my body every day. I've got to keep it in line every day, lest I too become reprobate. It is a daily thing in our walk with God, to walk in the fear of God, to put Him above all else. And even our decisions, because whether they're based on our feelings or based on the Word of God, so when I tremble at His Word, I want to know immediately what God has to say about it. If the last resort is God's Word, then I've kind of lost the fear of God. I need to know, what did God say? What about the situation? What does God say about that situation? What does His Word say? And then once I find out immediately what God's Word says about it, what do I do? I want to act on it. I want to act on what He says. Well, you see, it might be, let's say it's unreasonable, illogical. That's what the... the People that walked around Jericho, Joshua and all the... Can you imagine what they might have been saying? Can you imagine Joshua has crew? Go out there and send the praisers. That's illogical. It's unreasonable. Send out the warriors. No, that's logic and that's reason. But God says, if you send out the praisers, I'll fight for you. If you send out the warriors, you fight for yourself. Take your pick. Would you rather God fight for you or you fight for yourself? So they tremble. Someone who reveres God trembles at his word. Oh, my goodness. Is this what God said? Then you know what? Do you remember my story about, and this will lead up to this, um, tithing? I got on my face before God. I let him know I want to honor you. And I want to support your work. To do that, I got to sell my house. Let me get to that in a moment. But the next one is consider his creative powers and abilities. Take a moment to really consider his creative powers and abilities. And I don't mean to use this and play on this for any reason whatsoever. My heart goes out to the people that lost those five individuals that went in that, you know, submersible. And they lost their lives like in a heartbeat. It imploded and all that. I can't even think about a 19-year-old boy who went there to celebrate Father's Day with his father, which is the only reason why he went, for his father, and now he's gone in a heartbeat. Because some equipment couldn't stand up to the test. Which I understand they even knew that it was risky. They knew that in advance that it was very risky. But it made me really stop and think about the magnitude of the greatness of God that's revealed in all of creation. Remember the Russian astronaut that went out there and just said, I've been out here now, and I look around, and I don't see heaven, and I don't see God, and I don't see anything like that. So he does not exist, and that's why I'm an atheist. Really? Well, I did a little bit of research to find out about um, the depths of the ocean. How deep is the deepest part of the ocean? Where is it at? He said that Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. It is 6.83 miles deep. I understand that the Titanic was around two miles. Three times that deep. Can you imagine the pressure? It's almost incalculable. You can't even think about it. But he was saying, when you think about the magnitude of the greatness of God, look at Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 22. Look at what it says. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it? Would you say he'd be someone to fear? Who can take that much water, miles deep, and with a word or a decree, you will not pass over the sand along the seashore, and it doesn't. That's pretty powerful. Wouldn't you say? Will you not tremble at my presence? Who can do that? And just think about all his other creative acts. And these people that casually, flippantly talk about, oh, I don't know if I believe in God and all that. Wow. We've been left here to convince them that he does exist. Amen. Amen. And I thank God for miracles like Angels, where he could tell, because he's reached people, he's reached friends. With his book, with the video uh, on 700 Club and Cornerstone and all that, and plus his own personal witness, you know, bringing someone to Christ. He's done that. And God needs all of us working together. When he talks about helping Jesus, that's what he's talking about. We help Jesus, bring him into the family of God, into the kingdom. But this is how we, let's say, school ourselves in Godly reverential fear. I'm going to do something that he says don't do. I need to reverence that. If he said don't do it, I need to hear it, need to immediately obey it. Right? Right? Amen. Well, consider his creative powers and abilities. But then look at the next one. This is something when I studied this, it really kind of hit me. I I never saw this depth before. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, 22 and 23. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name, there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds, and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Wow. See, sometimes I think in our modern day that we live in, give and give and give because you're going to get back a hundredfold, going to get back and get. But that motive is so wrong. It's not, that's why you've heard me preach over the years. We don't give because God gives back to us. We don't give for wrong motives. First of all, you can see right here, one way to teach someone to fear God, give your tithe and offering to the Lord. Proves to him you fear him. Because he knows if he has your finances, he has your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. And as I was saying earlier, when I got saved, I lived in a brand new house, just bought in a brand new neighborhood, just constructed. It was in Mineral Ridge, Ohio. And... Before I got saved, my brother got saved, and I heard that he was giving 10% to the church. And I thought, my brother has become a Jesus freak. He's insane. He's out of his mind. You know, it's pretty sad that when you're a non-believer, you don't not even know Christ as your Savior. You think you are, but you don't. Then you think someone who came to him is a lunatic. Well... I found out who the wrong one was. Because the moment I got saved, it hit me. I need to give the Lord what belongs to Him. See, out of godly reverential fear, if you fear the Lord, if you tremble at His presence, you're going to do what He wants you to do. And so I thought, I crunched the numbers. There's no way I can tithe. I worked in the mill. I bought this house, and I could afford the house. I could afford my cars, two cars. I had insurance. I could afford the insurance, you know, that sort of thing, food on the table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if I took 10% away from all that, I was like a lot of people living from pay to pay. If I took away 10% from that, I'm sunk. And that's how a lot of people think. I can't tithe because I'm sunk if I do that. But you see, when you fear the Lord and you want to do it His way and not your own way, Here's what you do. I did this unconscious. I didn't know this verse in the Bible. I didn't know any of this stuff. I was just young. I was just new. I just gave my heart to Jesus. And so what do I do? I call a realtor over. She said, "Uh, what do you want to do? I'm going to sell this house. Why do you want to sell this house? If you don't mind me asking. I said, well, if you don't mind me telling, because I just became a Christian. I'm born again, and I want to give my tithe to the Lord, and I can't do it while I'm living in this house and paying all this. She almost floored her. She goes, I'm a Christian, too. I've never heard anybody say anything like that. Are you serious? I said, yeah. That's why I want to sell the house. It's brand new, brand new development and all that. I mean, it's like your dream. Okay, let's sign the papers. I was working on the afternoon shift, 3 11, and I came home about 11 o'clock at night, and I said, what's going on? Well, we sold the house. I said, what? Sold the house. I said, it's not even up on the market yet. She sold the house. Sold the house. She's coming over tonight to sign the papers. Really? Yep. Now I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, where am I going to (laughs) live? But the beauty of it is this. The Lord took us down a road called Euclid Boulevard in Youngstown, Ohio. A beautiful boulevard, beautiful brick homes. I would drive. You know, sometimes you take drives just to go see these nice houses and all that up and down the street and everything. And this one on that street, a beautiful street, had a sign up for sale and I thought, well, there's no way, this is even probably more than what I sold my house for. Oh, let's just call and just see. Okay, we'll call and see. So I make the phone call to call and see, call the realtor and said, you know, how much is that house or whatever. And they went into this story about, the person is no longer living in the house, they've moved out of state, got called out of state because of his job. And all that, and they said all they want to do is get rid of the house, make an offer. I made an offer $10,000 cheaper. Now, mind you, back then, we're talking 1978. You know, back then, $10,000 cheaper than what they're asking. They were only asking like 37000 That's a third, coming down a third of the price. So they, I thought, you know, what are they going to say? Come down a third, they call me back? took your offer, you can have the house for $10,000 cheaper than what they were selling it for. Long story short, I decided to sell my house. I decided to pay my tithe. God found me a house that was nicer, and it was all brick, double car garage, and I could go on and on, beautiful street, gorgeous street. Always wanted to live there, and I could not only afford my tithe, praise God, I could live in a house that I... Loved even much more. Isn't that something? When you choose to honor God, what does he do? He honors you. And that's exactly what he did. And so I didn't realize that, as that scripture says, this is one way we learn to fear God. By teaching us how to fear God, by giving him control of even your finances. Look at the next one. Remember our chief duty. Our chief duty is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, or the sum total of it all. Notice the next two words. What's the sum total of it all? What is it? Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, summed up in those two statements. Fear God, keep His commandments. Motivated by what? Godly reverential fear an awe, a respect for God. I just think over the years, we've kind of lost that in the church world today. Like I said, the priests used to prepare themselves before they would go into the temple and and serve God. We need to kind of get back to realizing that I was so impressed with all of you today because you probably from last week and maybe Wednesday night. I was so impressed that everybody was just ready to enter in. Think about it. Of all week long, we could do our own thing. We could act, say what you want to say, blah, 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 have fellowship and everything like that. When we gather like this, we create a habit, habitation, a temple for God to come and manifest himself. And if we want him to show up in powerful, powerful ways, we need to revere him. And when we honor him like this and reverence his presence He shows up, and when he shows up, praise God, I'm telling you, doesn't matter who you are, you'll be impacted by his presence that manifests. Sometimes be driven to your knees. Look at this, another way, number six. You want to talk about a way to really learn how to revere God? We can learn from others. Look at Leviticus chapter 10. We can learn from the experience of others. This is Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange or unacceptable or, you know, you can say unqualified. You can say fire that was unauthorized to the Lord. Hmm. So as they offered the strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them, what? I guess they lost the fear of trembling at his word. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Wow. Then Moses said unto Aaron, those were his two sons, remember, this is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come near me, and before all the people I will be glorified, and Aaron held his peace. Another translation says, I'll be regarded as holy before all the people. Moses said that to Aaron. This is what God meant when he said. Now you might think, well, that's kind of mean, but they were, it would like be like this. If you told your child, don't touch that hot stove, you can burn your finger. And they walk over and say, oh, really? And then they start screaming. Was it your fault or their fault? The Lord said, do not offer strange, unauthorized fire, fire that didn't come from the altar here. Because if you do that, you will be burned. Well, guess what? They did it. And what happened to them? It wasn't God's fault that they got burned up. It was theirs. Be like, if I told you, don't stick your finger in that outlet. There's electricity flowing through that. You're going to get shocked. And that you walk in and just go ahead and do it anyhow. And, then, and your hair goes straight up in the air and you go, whoa, I should have listened. What about this one? Look at these two. Ananias and Sapphira. We know the story. Acts chapter 5, 5 through 11. Look, look at these verses. They sold their property. They said they sold it for so much. They kept back part of the price and they lied to the Holy Ghost. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and what kind of fear? What kind of fear? The word great there, we get our word mega. In the Greek, it's the the word that's used there is the word that we get mega from. Mega fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yeah, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church. Notice all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So now we see this being illustrated. Uh, We don't lie to the Holy Ghost. So we don't approach God in an unauthorized way, number one, and also we don't lie to the Holy Ghost because God doesn't take that lightly. So we should learn from their example. Look at this next one, though, real quick. We'll get through some of these. Moses, look at his example. Remember when he was up on Mount Sinai and there was a horrible scene that took place? Anybody remember that? You might wonder, why am I doing this? You know why? Because God is moving in a powerful way and he's going to make himself known among people who fear him. And if we want to invite his holiest presence in this place, we will fear him, highly esteem him, highly regard him, and not take the things of God flippantly or casually or become so familiar with it that we forget about him being a holy, holy God. Do we want that? Do we want God to manifest himself in a powerful way? Yeah. Look in uh, chapter 12, Hebrews, look at verse 18 through 21. You're not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voiced they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said... I exceedingly fear and quake. Aren't you glad we hadn't come to that? What a sight that was. He was so fearful. They were so fearful. Don't let him speak to us. We don't want to hear his voice anymore. God is a consuming fire. And when he manifested himself and gave the law, that's when he gave the law to Moses, he trembled at his presence there and he trembled at his word. So, if God so was serious about establishing a temporary law, because they weren't going to live there forever under the law, how much more serious is he about people coming to Christ and serving him with reverence and godly fear? Because that was the type, and we have the antitype. So, in other words, we should be even more consciously aware of the presence of God being so holy, because... Because once you see back then, God appealed to them outwardly. He had to, because they had nothing inwardly. But for us, he, appears, he appeals to us inwardly, because you see, on the inside of us, we have His presence. We have His spirit. and that inward fear should be existent. Look at verse 25 through 29 now. This is from the message translation of the Bible. So we didn't come to Mount Sinai, we' come to Mount Zion. So, because we've come to Mount Zion, don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, what will happen to us if we turn our backs on heavenly warnings? His voice that that time shook the earth to its foundations. This time he's told us this quite plainly. He'll also rock the heavens. One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern, The phrase one last shaking means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Wow. Did you get that? How much more, he's saying, is this? God is so serious and He is moving in these last days and He wants to show up wherever people honor and revere Him. And where people hold Him in high esteem and reverence His presence, they will have His presence. But you see, if He shows up with His great presence and power among the people that are not revering Him, they could die. I'm going to show real quick. I'm going to cut to the chase, if you wouldn't mind. Let's go on down. Let's go a point further I have. Uh, look at this verse. Psalm 5, verse 7. Can we pull that up? When it comes to our worship... But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down towards your holy temple in reverential awe of you. You don't have to tell somebody to worship God when they have a reverential awe of Him, because you see, it's not about anybody else that's doing anything. They're so in awe and reverence of God when they come that they're already prepared. They prepared themselves. Outwardly, inwardly, intellectually, with their minds, and now I am here to worship God. I'm here to honor Him. Now look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26, because once again, godly reverential fear will lead people to live right before God, to do things that please him, that are his way, not our way, and that leads to obedience. Second Chronicles 26, verse 16 through 20. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. To his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now, this is Uzziah. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore eighty priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said to him, It appertaineth not to thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. But Uzziah was wroth; He was angry and had a censer. I'm the king. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. He had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Do we want his presence to show up when we're not doing it his way? Because if he ever showed up, it wouldn't be a good thing at all. And look at this next one. Because that's Old Testament. I can hear people just saying, well, that's Old Testament. I know, but this is New Testament. And God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever, and always. Can you say amen to that? Okay. For this careless. Now he's talking about the Lord's Supper, okay? And he's talking about how the Corinthians were being irreverent, disrespectful. They were doing their own thing, having it their own way. They were in different groups. Sects you can say, cliques you can say. The wealthier here, the poor over there, the wealthy, they're having the lasagna and, you know, Italian gourmet. (laughs) These over here, they're not having as much as they're having over there. Um, And so Paul says, you know what? You're not doing right. You're not reverencing God in this. Matter of fact, you're being irreverent and disrespectful. That careless and unworthy participation is the reason. It's the reason. Many of you are weak, sickly, and quite enough of you have fallen into the sleep of death. Did you hear that? Wow is right. Wow. It's so easy to slip into irreverence. We've become too familiar with something. And when we do, we just kind of take it lightly. But you know what? God doesn't want us to take him lightly in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He revealed himself as a holy God before even a loving God because God is love, but that love of his is centered in his holiness. He is a holy, holy God. Amen. And he wants us to be holy. It's not like he didn't tell us. I am holy, so be ye holy. Amen?